Hey there, and welcome to What's the Story? We're an inquisitive bunch of hosts on a mission to uncover stories about faith and courage from everyday people. In doing that, we get the privilege of chatting with amazing guests and have the opportunity to delve into their faith journey, the hurdles they've overcome, and the life lessons they've learned along the way. If you enjoy our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and sign up for our weekly newsletter at our website, whatsthestorypodcast.com. It's your direct line to the latest episodes and detailed show notes delivered straight to your inbox. What's the Story is brought to you by Crowd Church, who fully understand that stepping into a traditional church might not be everyone's cup of joe. So Crowd Church provides a digital sanctuary, a safe space to explore the Christian faith where you can engage in meaningful conversations rather than just simply spectating. So whether you're new to the Christian faith or in search of a new church family, visit crowd.church. And if you have any questions, just drop them an email to hello at crowd.church. They would love to connect with you. And now, let's meet your host and our special guest for today. So welcome to What's the Story Beside Me on the screen, if you're watching this. is a very old friend of mine, Mr. Rob Brown, all the way from Nottingham, the land of Robin Hood. If you're listening to this on audio, you can't see him, but trust me, he's, he's just next to me on the screen. So uh, <laughs> it's great to have Rob here. We're going to get into a whole bunch of stuff with Rob about his Christian journey, challenges he's had to face and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, Rob lives in Nottingham. He's doing TED Talks, apparently. Uh, he interviews people for a living. He's written a book, so I feel slightly nervous. In fact, he's interviewed a thousand people or more on what makes good people great. Thousands of people. He is a stroke survivor. He's got epilepsy. He's a committed Christian. He has a black belt in kickboxing, so I just need to watch my P's and Q's. Uh, <laughs> apparently, you play chess and backgammon as well, Rob, in your, in your quiet time, uh, which I think is quite fascinating. Uh, you love, I love this, you love orange chocolate. Is that Terry's chocolate orange or is there a different That type? is my go-to, Matt, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I can devour a whole one in one go. Yeah, I'm with you, bro. I, there's something that is so addictive about that uh, Terry's chocolate. And do you do the, the Terry's chocolate orange, which is literally the orange in the box, or do you do the individual segments, you know, that come in all the different flavors, or are you kind of disappointed with those? I'm very versatile, but it's got to be milk <laughs> chocolate. I, Terry's Chocolate Orange are diversifying their product offerings, so you can get it in all kinds of ways. But, yeah, my go-to is the original. I don't know if overseas listeners of this will get this, but it's a, it's chocolate wrapped up like an orange with little segments in an in a yeah. orange wrapper. You would know it well, Matt. So, yeah, yeah. yeah that is my kryptonite, really. It's about <laughs> 1,000 calories, I think, in one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I've never actually checked. I was in the States um, a couple, well, geez, it's flown by. I was in the States six, seven months ago. And my gift to take to them was a whole, I just filled my suitcase with Terry's chocolate oranges. Wow. Did I they get thought, it? Did it go down well? Oh, yeah, loved it. Yeah, that and yeah. Um, Cadbury's Dairy Milk Celebrations. I don't know if you've tried that one. That's the one I with popping candy. One, I've got to say that the chocolate in the UK is better than the chocolate in the USA. Let's let's put that out there right now. <laughs> let's get controversial straight away. <laughs> <laughs> As is the coffee. My wife Amanda says the Americans can't do a decent cup of coffee, but let's not start an international interview. <laughs> oh, the Americans throwing their pens down. That's so wrong. That's so wrong. Well, listen, Rob, it's great to have you on this uh, podcast. You are a podcaster yourself. Like we said, well, you've interviewed thousands of people Um 
And so I'm, I'm, I've been looking forward to this comment just because it's always nice to chat to you, if I'm honest with you. Uh, it's going to be fun. Well, that's, that's very sweet. And it is a privilege to be on the other end of an interview, if you like, mm. because I'm usually the one doing the questions. But as you and I know, it's it's more of a fireside chat and a conversation like that, isn't it? Because yeah. I, I'm sure I might fire a couple of things at you and get your take on things. But yeah, lovely to talk about life. Men don't talk about life much, actually, do they? Men don't no. have best friends. We don't confide. We don't share. We we don't make ourselves vulnerable. So mm. it's good that we're doing something like this and putting it out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's get started. Let's start, uh, not obviously right back at the beginning in terms of childhood, but let's talk about your Christian faith. Um always like to start off the show just by asking people you know how what was it that caused you to become a christian were you born a christian were you was there something quite significant along the way i'll tell you what didn't make me become a christian was going to catholic schools my whole life <laughs> i grew up in i'm hull. sure you're not the only one in that boat to be fair yeah i grew up in hull went to a, a catholic primary school a catholic middle school and i was even the head boy of my catholic senior school oh. in the sixth form there small school there was a few priests doing lessons but i never grasped the whole faith thing i did it by rote and in many ways it turned me off god because there's a lot of man-made stuff particularly in the catholic church and the sacraments mm. and the the confession confession booth and the rosary beads yeah. and penance and all of those things so i couldn't see god in that so i went on my merry way after school, having no faith at all, meandering around the world, looking for loads of things. And it wasn't until I was probably early thirties, I wound up in Charlotte, North Carolina. So I'd lived oh. in Hong Kong. I'd done loads of traveling and a good friend of mine that I met in Hong Kong was from Charlotte, North Carolina in the USA. And yep. I'd got to a crossroads in my life where I thought, what am I going to do? I'm nearly 30. I've tried a few different things. I've been a teacher. I've left that behind. I've done some coaching. And you ask yourself the question, is this all life has to offer? Am yeah. I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? So a move to the US was as good as anywhere. And it hit that wall where you say, if I don't make a decision now, I'm going to be lost for the next 10, 20 years. Because you look at a, a CV, a resume, if you like, and if it says you've been all over the place, you're basically unemployable. Yeah. yeah. Here's a, here's a drifter, here's a wanderer, he's tried a bit of everything, we can't tie this guy down. So I was asking myself the question, what am I meant to be doing with my life? Yeah. Now, most people become a Christian if they're not born a Christian and born into that life, and I, I really wasn't. Most people become a Christian because they hit a rock bottom. They hit a dilemma, yeah. a tragedy, a loss, a betrayal, a, a diagnosis, a situation, something, and they don't know where to turn. I actually was the opposite in that I had too many options. Okay. I was a qualified teacher. I could have lived anywhere. I could have married anyone. Basically, I had... I wanted to settle down. I wanted to be that guy. My brother was married with children and I envied that. I, I had too, so many things I could do yeah, and so many options and I was free to choose them all. But it's bewildering, isn't it? The, yeah. the paradox of choice, they call it. The more choices yeah. you have, the more you feel unsatisfied with the choice you actually make. I heard a lovely story about, do you remember 
a few years ago, you could go into a, a clothing shop and buy a pair of jeans and you'd have maybe a couple of sizes to choose from and you'd yeah. have to wear them for a couple of months and wash them in, but eventually they'd fit nicely. These days, you go into a shop to buy a pair of jeans and you've got 50 different cuts, 50 yeah. different colors, 50 different styles, and you eventually make a decision, but you come out thinking, mm, did I really choose the right one there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's called the paradox of choice. I was very much there. I didn't articulate it in that point, but that, I, that was that was the fork in the road that I came to. And I felt like in English terms, I was at a roundabout. Mm. Which road do I take from here? And I had that sense that if I took that road there, doing that job with that person, or I stayed here or I went there, I'd be looking back towards the roundabout thinking, well, did I take the right road? Mm. Should I have taken that other road, that other exit? which means you'd have to go back to the roundabout and start again. So it became really critical that I chose the right path. And I was bewildered by the choice and the responsibility of that choice. And that was when I started to, my my roommate back then, Eric, was a Christian. He was going to a church in Charlotte. And this is Billy Graham's hometown, Matt. Yeah. Charlotte, North Carolina. We know Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists of modern times. So I went to a Billy Graham crusade and he filled a football stadium with 80,000 people and there were 8,000 in the choir. That's how wow. big it was. Wow. That's a heck and of I, I went on my own. I was right up there in the rafters, mm. just curious. Mm. I, I hadn't gone to a church. I, I didn't want to go back that way, but I did have some questions. Ultimately, the question was, God, if you're out there, you're the one person that's likely to have the answer to the question, what am I meant to be doing with my life? Yeah. I wasn't praying for a miracle. I wasn't praying for redemption. I wasn't praying to be saved from anything. I wasn't at rock bottom, like I said. I just wanted a simple answer to the question, what next? Yeah. Yeah. And given the enormity of that decision and all that weighed on it, it was something that I had to get right. So you go to the ultimate source, and I really wanted God to be real Mm. and give me that flash of light. So... That was the first bit of the journey. And I didn't get an answer then, but I did go down to the front. You know, they do the altar call. If this message has affected you and you want to make a change. And I prayed a simple prayer, but nothing happened. What did happen is a few weeks later, I'd obviously got something and I felt maybe God might be staring, but I didn't believe he was real at that point. And I'm early 30s here. Mm. So I went to church where Eric went. I don't think I went with him actually that day. And they did a funny thing where this is a big church, Matt. So you're probably looking at five, 600 people. Yeah. Big auditorium, very well done. Baptist church in the South of the U S and they're very fervent, but very professional. And they asked the question, if you're new here, just stay in your seat and wait for 30 seconds. And at that point, everyone that wasn't new in the church stood up, so the only people that sat down are the the newcomers. So immediately everybody knew who you were. And that was, <laughs> that was unusual, wasn't it? Because they yeah, didn't say if yeah. you stand up because yeah, you'd feel yeah. really conspicuous. I'll yeah, put yeah. your hand up if you've not been here before. No, it was stay, stay as you are. Yeah. And everyone else stood up. And as soon as they saw somebody sat down, I had a ton of handshakes and welcomes and great to have you here. And they gave you this little card that said if you'd – like anyone to chat to any questions you've got, then let us know and we'll send somebody around. Now, I had a ton of questions. 
So I filled in this form and a few days later, it was Tuesday, 10th of October, 1996. Three people knocked on my door, this apartment in North Carolina. We're from Hickory Grove Baptist Church. Wow. You filled in the card. We'd love to come in and have a coffee with you and answer any of your questions and share some things with you. And it was very subtly done. It wasn't a hard sell. Mm. But they did sell it wrong insofar as they started talking about Jesus and God. And I'm saying, well, why should I believe? They said, well, you get eternal life. And I said, look, I don't, I'm not interested in eternal life. I want something right now. I want an answer now. <laughs> yeah. And I did the usual gambit of, listen, I believe in this God of yours. If I see this flash of lightning, I see yeah. this yeah. miracle. I see something. I see a sign. And the biggest thing they did to get me over the line was they said, and it was actually a guy called Lawrence Beatty. He was an old guy. He'd come to the Lord at age 57. He'd been hospitalized many times through alcoholization. Mm. And he got to that end of the road where there's nothing else but God now. And he had a wonderful testimony. But he said to me this, he said, faith doesn't tend to work that way. You've got to believe in God first, and then he'll show you the signs. It's mm. a blind step of faith. It really works with people. We can think of Paul on the road to Damascus where he gets the sign first and then he believes. Yeah. Yeah. But for most of us mortals, you've got to take that step of faith first and then mm. God will show himself. So I said, okay, I, I'll do that. I entered into the game, if you like, but I did pray with a, an open, fervent heart and they stood with me right then and we prayed the prayer, Lord, I'll bring you into my life. I've messed things up. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. I know that I've got stuff wrong. If anyone can help me, it's you. please come mm. into my life. and. Mm. and guide me and be my savior and, and many people listening might recognize some kind of believer's prayer like that yeah but it was that blind step of faith matt and whilst i'd love to tell you that there was lightning bolts and stars and angels singing and everything else it wasn't that but it was a sense of peace around me that i've done something good there yeah that's a step in the journey that i want to go down now and I can tell you with all honesty that in the next few days, a real peace came about with it. I'd done the yeah. right thing, that God was in my life. And I started to see God everywhere, even in the trees and the sky and yeah. the, in my mind. And it became that there was something bigger than me. And that was such a relief. It was such yeah. a peace that I didn't have to make this decision on my own. So it didn't all fall on me if I got it wrong. Yeah. And I can look back on it now and think, well, do you remember Moses when... God called Moses to release the Israelites and go yeah. to Pharaoh with a staff. And Moses felt completely inadequate to mm. handle that task. But God said, you won't be doing it on your own. I'll even give you Aaron, but I'll be there with you as well. And I'll give you these miracles and I'll give you these signs and I'll give you the words to say. So I felt like I wasn't on my own. And pretty soon after that, I'll stop talking in a moment. I'm sure you've got a few questions, but God told me to go back to the UK, go back to where I came from. Mm go back to the start and be a teacher, which was my craft. So I'm already getting answers of what to do and where yeah. to do it. And that was yeah. a great start. He didn't show me all the answers then, but he gave me a couple of pieces of the jigsaw. That's fascinating. And there was peace in that. Mm. Yeah. That no, fantastic. Fantastic. Well, that's amazing. I I'm, the reason I'm smiling a lot is because uh, as you're talking, I'm – I'm realizing we have probably more in common than I initially thought because really, yeah, I, 
well, I wasn't in my mid-30s, but I did go live in North Carolina. Wow, okay. I never I, knew that. I did become a Christian in North Carolina. Goodness me. Because I went to a Baptist church in North Carolina. Now, it wasn't Hickory How Grove Baptist Church. This is it's crazy, isn't it? How have we not yeah, it's funny. I took a year out from university before going to university and ended up working in a children's home. Right. In, in England? Um, no, no, in North Carolina. Oh, so uh, how did you get out there? Uh, originally, I wanted to take a year out. We At my school, we had, um, a, 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 I remember we did this assembly and a guy came around and talked about the virtue of taking a year out before going to university. Okay. And I thought, that, sounds, that sounds really good. And so yeah. I actually wanted to go to China. Um, to teach English because I wanted to go study Kung Fu um, because I was really into martial arts, uh, we, you know. And so um, that all fell through and the, the organization that I was doing it all with said, listen, we can't get you into China, but we can get you into this children's home in North Carolina. I'd been to America once and I said, sure, why not? At least they speak English, I suppose. And they've uh, got Chuck Norris, I think, which is the nearest you get to Kung Fu probably. <laughs> It's not quite China, but it's uh, <laughs> something, isn't it? So. Yeah, Chuck Norris. Hey, you know what? I love all the Chuck Martin Morris sort of memes that go around on Instagram. They're hysterical. Um, but, yeah, that's that's how I ended up over there. And I was working in this children's home. wasn't really looking for a Christian faith, I have to be honest with you. If, I'd, if you'd have asked me if I had a Christian, I said, yes, I had some kind of belief in God, but that was about it. And... Um, I went to the children's home. I had to take them to church every Sunday. That was part of my duty. Oh, okay. And so you got to hear the gospel every week. And it just had a profound impact on me over about three or four months. So, yeah. So you were more of a slow burn then, weren't you? But God got you where he wanted you to be to hear that message. Mm -hmm. It's funny it's how funny God how does that. that. Yeah. Funny it how that works. It is funny how he does that. But, yeah, it certainly threads of our life in common. Mm. And you, you got... God in your life when you weren't particularly looking. He, mm. he does that as well, doesn't he, to some yeah. people? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. God, when, when, when he's good and ready, there's a lady in our office. She's lovely, bless her. She's, um, she wouldn't call herself a Christian. Uh, in fact, she'd probably call herself the opposite. But she always knows, in, as, we, as you know, Rob, when you run a company, things are up and things are down. And when things yeah. go down, um, she always comes to me and says, you just need to pray. Because that's okay. what we need. We prayer, prayer seems to work, and so when you pray, God seems to answer, and things sort of happen. And I'm like, "Well, why don't you pray?" And she's like, "Well, I'm not going to." I'm like, "Shell, listen, you may as well stop running because at some point <laughs> <laughs> he's going to catch you, uh, and it'll just be much better for you if it's sooner rather than later." I'm just he's pointing that out. Don't wait till the last minute. I mean, you can, but why would you? It's so much fun. Uh, you know, in the meantime, I'm curious though. A point there, that there are people in my life that would make really good Christians. My business partner, Martin, he's very philanthropic. He works in the food banks and things when he's not running his business. Mm. He does a lot in buying up debt and setting people free. And he would be a huge asset to the kingdom of God. But he, yeah. he doesn't believe he's very open to it. My brother who's passed on now, but he was another one that uh, would have made such a great ambassador for the Lord, but mm. there didn't seem to be an itch in his life that God could scratch, mm. at least anything I was bringing to him. He wasn't interested in eternal life, and he had all the things he wanted. He was fairly comfortable. He had a wife, yeah. two great kids, and but would have made such a wonderful evangelist or a witness. Mm. Mm. But eventually God would have got him over the line, I'm sure. He had a Christian wife who went to church and took the kids, so... But yeah, 
things in common for sure. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating. And actually, you don't live that too far away from my mum because uh, you're in Nottingham. She she lives in a sort of small village between Derby and Nottingham. I am. Now, I never saw you in any Kung Fu movies, so was that the end of your <laughs> martial arts career? <laughs> uh, it's brilliant. In fact, it's interesting, actually. For the When I became a Christian, I still carried on doing martial arts, and there were some very lovely, well-meaning, but very uh, unhelpful Christians around you at that time when you were early in Christian faith, telling you that, you know, you can't do martial arts and be a Christian um, yeah. kind of thing. And um, I... I kind of listened to him, but I didn't. I carried on. And I remember, for me, one point, I was walking down the street. There was three of us, uh, two guys and a girl. And we were walking. um, I can't remember where we were walking from, but we were walking back somewhere. And this group of, this gang of kids, let's just say they were kids. I don't know how old they were. But gang of teenagers sort of swarmed around us um, and started pushing us around. And... I managed to get the other guy and the girl away. I'm like, go and take her, get her away, and I'll, I'll stay here just to keep this group entertained a little bit um, while you get it. Because it was, it was a bit frightening for her, bless her. And I remember, um, I remember it really clearly, Rob. I remember I was standing around these people, and as I turned around to make sure they were gone, one of them punched me in the face. Now, I turned around, and I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this, but in that situation, I looked at them. My whole body changed in an instant. I went into a stance, and I could see myself in my head in an instant. I knew what I was going to do to the first five people around me. Right. Uh, I knew the moves. I could see, I trained for so long, I could see those moves happening. Hmm. And I remember very clearly in that instance, the Holy Spirit saying to me, I've got this. And so... Right my whole body then instant relaxed. Uh, and the person in front of me could see it because they thought, oh, man, I'm going to get a good eye in now. This guy's really hacked off. Um, and I said, I just, I remember pointing at him and I said, listen, I'm going to start praying. That's what I'm going to do. Right. You said uh, that. Yeah, yeah. I said, you, I said, I don't know if you believe in God or if you don't, but let me tell you, you need to thank him because he has just stopped me from absolutely going for hell for leather on you. Because he was the one that hit me and I was going to take them out first. I was so angry. Um, and I'm like, you really need to thank him. And I think in that instance, um, I I kind of then stopped doing the martial art. I don't, it wasn't intentional. It just kind of happened from that point on until maybe uh, my kids were, I don't know, two young boys, um, and I thought, actually, it'd be really good for them to start to learn some of these things. And so we went um, and we did martial arts every week and we really enjoyed it. My middle, uh, my middle child, my youngest son, Zach, particularly enjoyed trying to hit me every week. <laughs> it was like Excellent. cathartic. It was like therapy. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of my story. That's straight out of it. You can make a movie out of that. We see these scenes in movies, whether it's Bruce Lee or Jack Reacher or insert your own superhero there, where they're yeah. surrounded by a group of ill-meaning ruffians and evil villains. And they all put the guns down and fight nicely and come at you one at a time. And such is the way <laughs> the movie. But I've never seen or heard of that response to a potential fight and how how obedient and courageous of you to actually handle it like that. That's yeah, it, it, it totally diffused the situation. And do you know what? 
um, just to finish the story off, a week later I saw that person, that same person walking down the street. And do you know what I had in my hand? My Bible. Okay. So here I am thinking, because part of me is going back going, well, okay, God, I could see what you're doing there, but I really wanted to hit him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which and is so, completely normal. Yeah, yeah, completely normal the, the sort of thinking. And I, I remember walking away thinking, oh, I don't know if I did the right thing. And then I saw them a week later and I had my Bible and they recognized me. And I just said to them, I really hope you have been praying and I really hope you have started thanking God. But if I'd have, if I'd have got into a fight and then he'd have saw me with the Bible, I'm not quite sure what that would have said. But, um, yeah, it was fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. But you, you got into kickboxing. Black belt in yeah, I was late to the party. My one of my daughters, Georgia, my eldest, played in a football team, and one of her teammates went to a kickboxing class with her dad. So I said to Georgia, "Why don't we go along and join them as a daughter dad type thing?" And we went mm. to a local kickboxing class in a sports center, and we enjoyed it. We bought the pads and the kit and started playing with it and this daughter and dad fell away but georgia and i kept going mm. and at this i was probably 46 47. wow and i'd had my daughters got married quite late after i came back to the uk it was within a year no probably a few years that i met my wife in hull so mm. that my hometown so god brought me back for that reason so we did this kickboxing stuff this other pair fell away. Georgia and I kept it going. She stopped at her blue belt she got, but I'm now maybe 48 and I'm thinking, why don't I just keep going? Could I get my black belt before I'm 50? And it took me three or four years, but I did. I kept it going. Mm. And even after Georgia had fell away and it became a real goal for me, not so much that I wanted to be a fighter or anything else, but I thought this is a great thing to attain. Mm. And if you're a father of two daughters, you know the old cliche of they bring, bring a boyfriend round. Oh, yeah. And, yep. and you show them your knife collection or your gun collection. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted my daughters, with me as the ultimate protector, to say, this is my dad. And by the way, he's a black belt in kickboxing. Yeah, 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 totally. So I, that was a motivator. But for myself as well, uh, but which led to another thing we, I'm, I'm sure we'll come on to. But, uh, yeah, we, we need goals as we progress through yeah, our yeah. life. And I wasn't young like you were. And there was kids doing kickboxing that were in their 20s and they could throw fast punches and run rings around me. But I could hold my own to a yeah. point. And, and it's the catters and things, isn't it? You'll know yeah. that word yeah. where you go through the routines. And that it's not so much – it's what it makes of you. Mm. Yeah, as yeah, a person, that yeah. journey. That I think it's good discipline. Yeah, that's the word, isn't it? It's yeah. discipline, and that's why I was keen. The kids did it, especially the boys. I was—I mean, Zoe did it. My daughter as well, and she got into into the whole martial arts thing to the point where, if she, you know, when when she does bring a boy home, if she's at, if he's actually got far enough to come home, yes. I'm kind of like he's probably okay because he's <laughs> she's got two older brothers that he's got to get through, and then there's. Yeah. I remember one time. I don't know if I should tell this story, but we were, I was back home in Derby and my cousin, who's not really my, was it my cousin? I can't remember if it was my cousin or somebody like someone close to the family. Her boyfriend was coming round to our house, to my mum's house. And this was a few years ago. And there was three of us stood outside. There was me, my brother, who is ex-military, 
right? He wasn't at the time, he was in the army at the time. And my brother's best mate. And so this guy came around and we're like, we're going to meet him. We are going to wait outside and we are going to meet him. (laughs) Because I know what I was like when I was a teenager and none of my girlfriend's dads at the time took me aside and said, I'm not being funny, Matt. You do anything crazy, I'm going to break your legs. Not that I advocate that level of violence, obviously. But I think that's probably what I needed. And so I took this, we took this this guy turned up and uh, Stu, the guy that was with us, uh, said to him, okay, this is Matt. He's trained to save you because uh, he always calls me the vicar. And this is his brother, John. He's trained to kill you. <laughs> it was just a very funny conversation. And this kid is like, what do I do? Uh, and I just said to him, I said, you behave yourself. That's what you do yeah. uh, because you, d- you you don't want to get caught not uh, and so, no, I, I get it. Very protective of your daughter. Uh, very protective uh, of my daughter, That's rightly or wrongly. Good. And I wish more dads would have those kind of conversations with young boys because there's, there's a lot of cockiness and arrogance of youth. Yeah, Probably you and I felt back in the day where at 20 you feel you know everything. Mm. But looking back, you realise you know no, nothing. nothing. <laughs> That's actually you true. You know nothing. You know nothing. Yeah. You are nothing. So, yeah, a bit of... A bit of humility at that age is the dad's job to instill in, in the young men that get around out you. Yeah, absolutely. And say, listen, you, you, you have a great time, but if you, if you step out of line in any way, there are consequences. Uh, and I, I think that's an important thing. Um, the line I used once was, don't touch my daughter anywhere that I wouldn't. Yep. Yep. That just sums it up. <laughs> it totally sums it up. It's exactly right. And I think these conversations should be had. I remember a pastor friend of mine, he, his, his daughter was going on a date. And uh, this is in the States. And they were going to senior prom. And this was the first time she'd gone on a date. And the guy had come round to pick her up. Uh, and the dad knocks on the door. Uh, he knocks on the door and the dad answers it, um, Eddie. And so Eddie's like, come on in, dude. Uh, and he's all dressed up, you know, black tied. And he's like, she's just going to finish getting ready. Um, yeah. But let me show you something, you know, uh, while, while we're there. <laughs> so he leads him to the garage and shows him this brand new car, a big shiny car that they had. Um, yeah. Had the license plate Glory One, I think, from memory. Uh, bizarre oh, detail of the story. Anyway, big shiny car. And he said, would you like to borrow the car this evening? I can uh, I can give you the keys to my brand new... I mean, they were talking about the car. What would you like? You know, do you like my new car? Love the car and all that sort of stuff. And then he ends the conversation by going, would you like to borrow it? Would you like the keys? And the, the young man quite rightly said, oh, no, I, I wouldn't take your car out. And Eddie's like, why do you not want to take my car? And he says, well, it's a new car. It's brand new. It's, he says, it's really... It's, it's expensive. It's worth a lot of money. And Eddie said, I just turned around to him and said, you are taking my daughter out tonight. She is worth war to me than this car is worth. And it is like, in an instant, that kid understood. That Uh, was really clever. (laughs) I thought it was very, very clever. So you've got a black belt in uh, kickboxing. Um, And I said in the intro, one of the things I do want to talk about is the stroke that you had, because you are a stroke survivor, is what we uh, said in the introduction there. Um, And when we were sort of doing the preacher, I asked you, you know, what's one of the biggest challenges that you sort of faced in life that, God's helped you overcoming. You immediately talked about the stroke. Just run us through that. Well, any near-death experience, brush with mortality, has got to be up there, hasn't it? So I was, a little bit of context, I 
trained as a PE teacher, physical education teacher, and I did maths as a second subject. So you're not teaching hockey on the cold plain fields of England in your 50s. That was the thing. <laughs> so I trained there, and I've always looked after myself, rugby player and, and cyclist and did triathlons and things like that. So never drank. My mm. dad was a drinker, and he pushed me away from drink, never smoked, and eat eat well, look after yourself. That was my upbringing. So in my mid-40s, late-40s, I'd got my black belt and kickboxing. I'd, I was doing boot camps as well. You know the outdoor exercise yeah. thing in the park with a few people and you're swinging some kettlebells and I'm doing all of this and feeling good for my age. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a vanity thing about men as well, isn't it? You don't want to be an old man with a beer gut and that's an very true. shape. Yep. So a bit of vanity helps with that. So I got my black belt and I laid that down, actually. I don't know how far you got, but once I was presented with a black belt, I didn't really go back. Mm. I had the choice, do you go on to your second down and your third down and how far do you go with this? And some people did, but it, for me, it was that attainment. Mm. I'd got that. So I laid it down and I, I looked for some other things, did a bit of jogging and rowing machine I've got, but probably I did some damage because I started to get some migraines. This is maybe about 18 months after I'd quit kickboxing and I'd hit my 50th birthday. Yeah. And I got, I I would get migraines as a child, Mark, maybe one a year. Mm. My mom got them too. But I went through a period, Easter 2016, where I got 28 migraines in 30 days. Jeez. And these were not just migraines. If you were to put a pain scale up where 10 is you, your head's exploding mm. and you're rolling around on the floor and one is just a mild headache. Mm. I was up in the eights and nines. I was on the floor. Now wow. I'm a Christian at this point, so you can pray as much as you like, but the pain is still there. Mm. And we knew something was wrong. So I went for some tests and they offered me a, the scans, but they said, we can have a look, but these scans are like a thousand times more powerful than an X-ray. Do you want to be doing that to your brain? So they talked me out of it. So I went down a journey with my wife of changing my diet. Am I stressed? Am I looking at screens too much? What's going on here? Now we didn't know it, but I had, I was having some mini bleeds in my brain. Right. So without getting too medical, there's a, a network of capillaries around your brain, arteries and veins. And a, an artery had shunted into a vein and opened up what they call a communication. Now, they're not supposed to be joined, arteries mm. and veins. So this was starting to pump high-pressure blood into a low-pressure vein. Mm. And this vein couldn't cope, and it started to leak a little bit. And that was the migraines. We didn't know this at the time. So for months, I'm changing what I'm doing and got some slight relief, but I was still getting migraines. And I said to my wife, look, I'm just going to, Let's just go away on holiday. I'll come off screens. And we went to a place in Mallorca and got a lovely hotel. And I just had a swim one morning and I got out of the pool and laid on the sunbed. And I had another migraine. Mm. And I could not get up. And this was the last two or three days of the holiday. So we're thinking this is serious. Now, I didn't know it, but I'd had a, a brain hemorrhage. I'd had a bleed on the brain at that point because this vein had just gone boom. Mm. It couldn't take it anymore. So that was happening inside my brain. So I'm 
writhing on this bed, a doctor came to see me and we need to get me home. And I wasn't fit enough to fly. Wow. But he gave me an injection. I managed to get on the plane. I was looking, I was in really bad shape. I'm shuffling around. I've got shades on. I'm dehydrated because I was vomiting. I couldn't keep anything down. But I got on the plane and when I'm checking in, the steward there is saying, is this guy all right? And my wife said, oh, he's just scared of flying. But it wasn't true. Mm. I, I was in a bad way. So the journey and the elevation, the height, the rarefied air, I took ill on the plane. So it was oxygen mass. Thankfully, we were sat at the front. It didn't cause too much of a, a ruckus. But I was given oxygen on the plane. Mm. And at the end of the journey back to Nottingham, paramedics came onto the plane. Uh, the, hosp the hospital sent an ambulance. And and I'd vomited on the plane too. Right. There was no way I was coming off that plane without being in an ambulance. No. Because something is majorly wrong. Yeah. So they I bypassed passport security. I got into the country without showing my passport and I went straight to hospital. And it was bank holiday, August bank holiday, Matt. If you're in the K UK, you know that everyone's on holiday there. So I got mm. to a hospital and at one o'clock in the morning and they put an IV in me and got some saline in me because I'm not drank for a few days and I'm totally dehydrated. They had nobody there to assess me. So I came home uh, in a taxi at three in the morning, uh, still with a pounding headache. And Amanda called our doctor the next day and said, look, we've got him home, but he's still in bad shape. And the doctor came to see me at my home and he said, you need to get him to a hospital right now. So we went back to hospital and I collapsed at the hospital uh, waiting by an elevator to go and wow. see somebody. And uh, a nurse came up to me and my wife, and our pastor was there, actually, Kate, with us too. And, and they said, are you okay? My wife said, no, he's collapsed. And she pressed a button in the lift and a crash team came to me. You know, these emergency teams. Yeah. yeah. And now I'm in the system. So they scanned me straight away. I'm basically unconscious. And they found this massive bleed on the brain. The blood was rushing around my skull. And they put dye in you as well, so they know exactly where it is. Mm. And they operated pretty quickly on mm. me. A neurosurgeon knew what was going on. And any kind of bleed or blockage in the brain is deemed a stroke. That's mm. the generic term. Yeah. We often think of people getting paralyzed down one side or their mouth or the mm. side of the face. So I didn't get any of that, actually. But it, it does come under that umbrella. So I was operated on. They blocked the communication as it's called they blocked this artery vein communication with glue it's called onyx wow. they fire it in through your groin wow. but they had so they didn't go into my skull but they had uh, some brain surgeons and with laser guns and drills standing by just in case it required that wow. and there were 16 people in the operating theater at the time of my procedure wow. just in case and i was under for four or five hours and then in intensive care for a few weeks. And to bring it to the end of the story, I did come out. I was healed, but I found out later I had some scarring in the brain and the bleed had damaged some nerve cells. So I lost some vision. Mm. I was a bit blurry-eyed for the next few days, but it, as it all calmed down, I realized that I couldn't see a quarter of the world. It's called quadrantinopia. Mm. If you think of your vision as four quadrants, my eyes were fine, but the quadrant that transmits, the nerves that transmit what you see through the nerve endings, 
into the brain, they were damaged. Right. So I'd lost vision in my top left quadrant because the bleed was in the back right-hand side of my brain and your optic nerve crossover. Yeah. So once this was diagnosed, there's a quarter that I can't see and I wasn't allowed to drive. So I had to have that surrendering of my driving license. Mm -hmm. And then we'll come to it, I'm sure, but at COVID a few years later, five years later, I was diagnosed, I had a major epileptic seizure. Mm where the scarring in the brain had caused some electrical imbalances. So I fell unconscious with a major seizure, was taken to hospital by an ambulance and woke up there and they said, you've got epilepsy. Well, what caused it? And the scans they showed had come up in this area of my brain, these electrical imbalances. So they said to me, you won't be able to drive now. And I said, well, actually I've not been able to drive since 2016 because Mm. of the vision problem. Mm. So I was used to that. We can talk through that, but that is, that's the journey. Mm. That was the major episode. That was the moment, if you like, not a moment, but a that near death experience. Mm. Wow. And we can talk about that, what that means for me now and what I've learned from that. But it gives you a different perspective on life, Matt, ultimately, yeah. as you can imagine. Oh, I'm sure it does. There's no doubt. And I'm I'm kind of curious. One of the things, as you're talking, I'm listening to you talk, thinking I remember doing an interview with Mark Mitchell. You know, the guy that owns Mitchell Mazda? Um, okay. I don't know him, but... Yeah, yeah Mark Mitchell up in Chesterway. Um, similar story. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, uh, I, did he have a, a... He had something wrong in his brain. I don't, I don't remember if it was a bleed or whether it was something else, but his story, very similar. Things went very wrong. Um is sort of life has changed as a result. Now, I'm kind of curious with you though, Rob. Um, yeah, I mean, because you're quite a capable guy, right? In in a lot of ways, you're you are the kind of guy that will just get up and go, oh, no, I'm going to get my black belt in kickboxing because that's just what I want to do. I've got this goal, so what I want to reach. I'm going to grow this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And it strikes me that in that instance, that feels like it could have that ability see did you still have that was that taken away from you and i'm kind of curious how you viewed god in this whole scenario you know because um i think i've seen people either press into god for a very christian term isn't it either you know lean into god more or sort of withdraw a little bit because like god why have you allowed this to happen to me kind of a thing when i'm going through this you do pray i prayed a lot my wife prayed with me my pastors at the time alistair and kate came around and put oil on my head and we did all of that Mm. and you're praying god take it away Mm. i can't handle this and the verse that came out for me was uh, 2 corinthians 12 10 which is when paul had an ailment it might have been a vision thing, but he prayed three times for God to take it away from him. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, that verse starts with, and, and the Lord said, no, mm. for my grace yes. is sufficient for you. Yeah. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul said, that's why I will boast all the more gladly mm. about my weaknesses. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Mm. So I got this real sense that when I'm weak, and this is me on the floor with another Mm. migraine, or as I'm recovering, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So God was picking up the slack, Mm. if you like. Now, I prayed that my vision would be restored. I prayed that I would have no more migraines. I prayed that I'd have a long life. 
like many men, you, you want to feel in control of your destiny. Mm -hmm. You want to live a long life. Uh, you want to be strong towards the end. You want to run a good race. Mm. But that's taken away from you in a way. You're no longer in control. Yeah. You're no longer fighting the fight on your own. It becomes in God's hands. Now, I was very blessed to come out of a stroke with all that I still had. And that was my that was my lesson, actually, we'll come on to. But I was very grateful to still be in the game. Mm. Because you hear of people having heart attacks and strokes and cancer and everything else. And and that that's a terminal diagnosis. That's it. Or they come out with major impairments in a wheelchair. They can't walk properly. They can't think properly. They can't, they lose motor function. And there's all kinds of outcomes. And, and bless the people that have those. It's tough. The fact that I could still see something and I could still function almost like I used to, but with the, the throttle turned down, I was still in the game. Yeah. I could still work. And so thankful for that. And I became grateful for a lot of things. Mm. This is the lesson, really, if we're free to move on to it, that mm. you become so thankful. And instead of asking why me, you say, well, I've had a great life. Why not me? There's a... um. One of my good friends, Richard Holmes, he's been diagnosed recently with motor neuron disease last couple of years. Yeah. And uh, he did an event just recently in Sheffield, interviewed by Dan Walker from the BBC, who okay. used to do Focus, who yeah. goes to that church in Sheffield. Yeah. And talking about his journey with motor neuron disease, because it's a brutal illness and Richard's life is disappearing before his eyes. Uh, and for his wife and kids as well, it's really, really difficult. So he was asked the question, are you angry? He said, no, I'm not angry. You would expect me to be angry and think, mm. why me? But if it's not me, it would be somebody else. And why should it be on them? Yeah. Uh, he's a man of faith. And he said, I've led a good life. I'm thankful for so many things that have already happened. And God's going to do a new thing here. And he's told me it will be brutal, but there will be beauty and there will be things to appreciate throughout this journey. And I could resonate with that because it does knock you back. It yeah. does take a sheen of arrogance off your life because you're relying on God. Mm. There's a lot of humility and gratitude and appreciation for the smaller things and the ordinary mundane things in life. Mm. And that's the point where I got to, that God was showing me something and stripping layers off me and snipping things off like the vines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're right. It, it's just about God now. Walk that walk. Mm. That's where I got to. So the, because this was the, I, like I said, I, I'd like to ask everybody, you know, what's the one thing that you've learned over the years uh, in all of this? And you, you, you've quite eloquently sort of said, I was just became more grateful. So it's, in terms of that journey, you know, you, you first get the you're having the migraines, you 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 have all this drama on the on the plane. At what point do you do you switch from anxiety, from fear, uh, into gratitude, or are those two things going side by side the whole time? I'm kind of curious to know what happened to you in that. That's a great question. I tell you a moment that was a massive relief for me when we are in the hospital, I'm semi-conscious, and the, the consultant there had looked at my scans and he said, right, I know what's been happening to you. And my wife's there and the, my pastor Kate is there as well. 
And he said, you've had a bleed on the brain. You've had a hemorrhage. And I started laughing. <laughs> okay. A good response, probably. And, and my wife next to me was obviously horror stricken because you're looking at brain surgery and is he going to survive mm. and all of those mm. things but i was so relieved matt that finally i knew what this was that i've been going yeah. through for the last yeah. three four months yeah i'd had a diagnosis i i had an answer mm. and once you've got an answer you can deal with it mm. once you know your enemy once you know what you're up against mm. if it was a stroke or a cancer diagnosis or whatever it was i would have been happy that at least i could deal with it and i knew what had been going on in my head so i laughed and such relief so that's when god started to come into it that there was no anxiety amanda it's hard for your partner isn't it sometimes yeah. because i'm in yeah. the eye of the storm barely holding it together just trying to focus on me and i went into my own little world and amanda's on the outside running my life picking up all the pieces, dealing with relatives, dealing with the diagnosis, yeah. answering our two very young daughters who are saying, is daddy going to die? Mm. Taking care of all of that stuff. And I'm just focused on the procedure that will allow me to get through this, yeah. going into surgery, signing a disclaimer, all of that with a very shaky signature and then being prepped for brain surgery. Mm. So there was a calm about me. I think that I, I knew finally where I was. I knew what I was dealing with. I didn't know what life would look like on the other side, but the, the surgeon said, we can stop this bleed. So after that, I'm in intensive care and then I'm in rehab and this blood's still in my brain and it takes six months to kind of dissipate back into the body because it doesn't go anywhere unless yeah. you release it from the skull. So I was in a, a season where I couldn't get my pulse above a hundred wow. because the body's under huge stress. So I'm, mm. I'm actually putting on weight then, uh, but I'm staying very calm and and thankful mm. that I got through this, that there was life on the other side of this, and I was fairly normal. I knew then that I'd lost vision, and I'm coming to terms with that. But through it all, there was a certain relationship with God, a bit like your Holy Spirit moment with that fight, with God mm. saying, I've got this. Yeah. I am with you. We'll get through it together. And and in your weakness and my strength, we've got a team. I remember this story from, this is going back a little bit, but John McEnroe, do you remember the tennis player? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a fantastic doubles player. And he played with a guy called Peter Fleming. Fleming and McEnroe, that was the dream team. They won mm. lots of titles. It's back in the 70s, early 80s. And Peter Fleming was once asked, who's the best doubles pairing of all life? of all time and he said john McEnroe and anyone <laughs> that's just a great answer yeah he said as long as you've got john McEnroe in a doubles pair and you'll do fine and, yeah. and i i relate that story to god god plus anyone is the dream team well it's the majority isn't it yeah, yeah god plus me it will defeat all comers yeah it is the majority and i felt like that god was with me and he would help and he has mm help me get through that and I've been so grateful so so appreciative of that mm. that I've never taken things for granted and here's another thought and Richard Holmes brought this to me he said I've seen my life in thirds and I always thought I would live till 90 kind of like a footballer you'd get 90 good minutes on the pitch yeah in a soccer game so the third the last third of my life would be 60 to 90 years mm. 
he said, I'm here I am at 58, 59, and I'm now in the last third. And the last third might be the 40 to 60 range. If mm. I get past 60, it's a bonus. And uh, he said, I just want my last third to count. Yeah. Wherever that ends, whether it be 90 or 60, if, I want it to count. Mm. That was his legacy now, that he wanted to shine a light on God and do something that matters by being a witness to God through what he's yeah. going through. And I've not articulated it like Richard, but having thought I would live till 90, 100, it might be a lot less now. Who mm. knows what's going on in my brain? But for those that last third, the season that we're in, for that to count, however God wants it to count, mm. that's where I'm at now. Yeah. That's actually quite a liberating way to think about it as well, I would have thought. It's quite... Um... It's quite powerful, isn't it, just to sort of go, no, and, and I want this to count. And I think it's interesting because when you, certainly the older I get, the more the questions in my head change from what can I do to be successful to how can I make an impact? God, how can I build your kingdom, right? Yeah. Whatever that looks like and whatever mechanism that is, how do I glorify you? How do I build your kingdom? Um, and I, I, Because I, less about you, doesn't it? Yeah, just, Our egos kind of fade away when you feel more mortal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I imagine you, this you whole never, event has made that even more so for you. Yeah, and any any serious incident like this, and, and mm. there isn't anybody that can't be brought to their knees mm. sobbing on the floor with, with a diagnosis, with a phone call, with a piece mm. of bad news, mm. with an accident, an illness. We like to think we're invincible, particularly as men. That's our whole identity, isn't it? Yeah, it is true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we're in control. Mm -hmm. We've got the power, but really, we're all contending with something. We can all be brought to our knees. You look at the, isn't suicide the biggest killer of men under forty? Yes, it is. Yeah, and yeah. we've got that thing going on with men that we don't share stuff, and mental health starts to be a, a premium currency for mm. men. We don't talk things through. None of us are mortal. Our bodies get older, and you, like I have must become a lot more humble to say, right, I can't do this on my own now. I yeah. need people around me. I need God in my life. I'm not as strong as I used to be. I'm not as fit. I'm not as fast. I don't think like I used to. I'm not 20 anymore. Yeah. And it's that mortality where you start to th look for some more meaning and it's less about the ego. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Rob, just in closing, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't want to treat this like a church service because I don't think it is, but I do wonder if someone's listening to the podcast, right, they're listening to your story and they're going through something right now um, that is, I mean, it's, you know, horrific um, for them. What would your advice be? What would you, maybe another way to phrase that question is, what would you go back and tell yourself um, as you're just about to start this migraine season? Mm -hmm. Well, God plus one is a majority. I, when Richard was on stage, they did a Q&A at the end, and I was really keen to put my hand up and say, how would you have dealt with this, Richard, without God in your life? Mm. Because he spoke a lot about how God had held his hand throughout it all, and he mm. continues to do so. And even with my stroke, I I wonder how I'd have dealt with it without God. So mm. it's a certain peace that comes from knowing that God is in your corner, and the battle is the Lord's, the, the mm. Bible says. And, mm. and in 
and in your weakness there is strength. So I would talk back to myself. If I was talking back to a Christian, you could you would say, stay close to God, mm. because where else can you go? Yeah. Do you remember in John 6 where people were falling away from Jesus? He'd fed the 5,000. He was giving them bread and fish. But when mm. he started to talk about I am the way, the truth, the life, anyone that drinks my blood eats my flesh, that was mm. really tough teaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people fell away, and he said to his close 12, will you also fall away and leave me. And Peter said to him, well, where else should we go? Where, mm. where else, what's, what else is left? Yeah. You alone have the words of eternal life. So speaking back to anybody as a, as a Christian, I would give them that message. But speaking to non-Christians, I would say that we can't do this on our own. Mm. Nobody escapes trials and challenges and bad news. And nobody can say with any certainty how their life is going to go. You plan things out, but trials are going to come to us all. So who are you going to fight those with? Because you can't stand on your own two feet and keep swinging. So there's that sense of who's going to go with you for the journey. Mm. And God must be as good a choice as anywhere else are you going to go. What is left? It's a privilege to grow old. Mm. Is it? Not everybody gets to grow old. Yeah. And you get grateful in thinking, well, the job I'm bitching and moaning about right now might be somebody's dream job. Yeah. Or me still being in the game and not being able to drive might be fantastic for somebody that is in a wheelchair yeah. that hasn't got through that part of the stroke. So as much as I might complain about what I haven't got, there is so much to be thankful for that I have got. So my my ultimate message would be wherever you're at in your life and whatever you're contending with and going through, there are so many things to be thankful for if you just yeah. look for them, if you're open to them, count your blessings and be grateful for what you do have left and what's still going for you. If you start to look at that instead of the size of the problem and you start to look at the size of your God instead mm -hmm. of the size of the problem, that's the ultimate takeaway for me. And that makes every day count in the end. I keep a little journal of blessings now. Mm. Just things that happened to me and around me. It's not quite that was a great sunset, but I had that lovely walk and that was great with my daughter and we got through that and I mm. did that preach at church and that went well and little things like that mm. that might seem quite mundane to people. But if you start to count those up, you feel that God is for you and not against you. Yeah. And that's a wonderful feeling of peace. Absolutely. Oh, mate, powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Um, if people want to connect with you, if they want to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? I am most active on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm not an Insta LinkedIn. or a Twitter or anything else. I quite like TikTok, but you wouldn't really find me on there. Is for the younger generation, but I, I'm still in the game business-wise and will be for a few years. So LinkedIn, if people want to have a conversation, that, that's a good reach out. But I'm not the robbrown.com, go there and see all my talks and buy my books and everything <laughs> else. That, that's a season long past. I'm quite happy to be in the background and, yeah. and hear other people's stories. Fantastic. So, uh, what have you taken from this, Matt? Oh, mate, loads. I just, I just love your whole attitude to the whole thing. Um, I mean, I've not had a stroke. We've gone through some horrific stuff in life. Yeah. And, and like you, I think that the, you come away from it going, well, I have the option to get really angry towards God 
you know, here right. because he's not come through how I thought he was going to come through. How but, dare he not play your game? Exactly. Right. Don't you know who I am, God? Right. Yeah. And it's that kind of thing, isn't it? But then you, <laughs> then you kind of realise actually, no, God's God, and he's, and. I think sometimes with time, time really helps when you can look back when you're not in that instant pain. And, and, but when you can look back three or four years later, you go, actually, no, God, you were right. And I yeah. see the plan and I see the purpose in this and forgive my arrogance, you know, because uh, and I think you're right with God, you're in the majority. And I don't get it right. I don't always hear him or understand him in the instant. But if I look back, I see his hand on my life and I. And and like you, I'm just super grateful for that. Super, super grateful. And I think the older I've got, the more grateful I've got. And we, we only hold a couple of pieces of the jigsaw, don't we? Mm. It would overwhelm us to see the big picture. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> so much going on there. That would be frightening. I so, think it would just be one of those things where you just go, that's it, I'm out. <laughs> I'm yeah, out. I'm out. Give me a couple of pieces that I can just about hang on to that. Lord. <laughs> that that's good. But as much as we want to know what's going on and why, we want to mm. know the why, don't we? Mm. We feel we've got a right to know the why, but we don't have a right. Like Job, yeah, he wanted to know the why, but he didn't have the right. And he acknowledged to God in the end. I was speaking about things I had no idea about. Yeah. So That's we will really not point. know the why until we get up there. Maybe the why won't matter, but it's in the journey mm. that God is doing the molding and the shaping and the, the snipping and the clipping turn us into a, a good work and yeah. uh, we're thankful for that amen rob listen amen. thanks man you're a legend absolute legend love talking to Hi, you Carl. i really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story uh, and just being so candid with us it, it's been phenomenal absolutely phenomenal it's been a wonderful conversation bless you and just like that we've reached the end of another fascinating conversation crowd church is a digital church a community a space to explore the christian faith and a place where you can contribute and grow. To find out more, check out www.crowd.church. And don't forget to subscribe to What's the Story on your favorite podcast app. We've got a whole lot of inspiring stories coming your way, and we really don't want you to miss any of them. What's the Story is the production of Crowd Church. Our fantastic team is made up of Anna Kettle, Matt Edmondson, Tanya Hutzelak, and myself, Sada Fainan. We work behind the scenes to bring these stories to life. Our theme song is the creative work of Josh Edmondson. If you're interested in the transcript or show notes, head over to our website, whatsastorypodcast.com, and sign up for our weekly newsletters to get all this goodness delivered straight to your inbox. So that's all from us this week. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Bye for now.